My name is Angela Pergay. In 2004, I was 17 weeks pregnant with Daniela when I started my first Bible study at Watermark. And it happened to be highlights that Jennifer and Cynthia Culver were leading. And my life changed dramatically from what God taught me through Jennifer's teachings. I was simply amazed how Paul shared the gospel of Jesus Christ at every turn, whether in prison, traveling, or being placed on trial. I will never forget the day Jennifer shared an excerpt from Charles Spurgeon, I don't know if I say that right, his sermon, and you won't either. I need water. If hell must be filled, oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stop and not madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and not let one go there unwarned or unprayed for. My response, uh, I have a, my immediate family are not saved. I, I did not come from a Christian home, which m- many of you may not have either. Uh, my response to uh, the study of the Acts was to write a letter to my parents, and to my sister and my brother, and two of my friends. I want to share it with you today. And especially with Jennifer. This particular letter is going to be mailed today. Dear Elbian Ann, I'm often reminded how precious our time together is. This year's no exception. I'm truly humbled by God's goodness. His love challenges me to live with more purposefulness and authenticity. That includes sharing how and why I committed my life to Christ. I often fall short but constantly work to serve God by loving others, which includes sharing the hope I have in Him. So here goes. And this is something I'd never shared with my family before. I was in grade school when I knelt in prayer around my grandparents' bed. I literally cried a pool of tears on their comforter. It was incredibly emotional. Through my vision um, were the silhouettes of my grandparents, my uncle, my sister, and my cousin. To this day, I acknowledged that day I acknowledged my sin and need for God. Ironically, I don't recall a single word that was spoken. The images and emotions, however, were incredibly vivid. This day changed me forever, but by no means instantly. Although my efforts were often misguided, my desire to pursue God was extraordinarily strong. I can only describe it as a, a physical pull on my person. I was probably six at the time. I talked to God often, attended many churches alone, and was baptized at 16. In the years since, I've made good decisions and incredibly poor decisions, years filled with immense hope and intense despair, and years spent living far from God. A turning point in my life was Brian Frazier's death when I was in my mid-twenties. We shared lunch that day, and it ended with me unsuccessfully administering CPR. At the time, I believed good people go to heaven and bad people don't. The days following Brian's death, I found myself in a spiritual conversation with a co-worker. I can literally visualize to this day his hand as he drew an illustration explaining the good news of Christ. Simply put, man and God are separated by man's sin. People could never be good enough or do enough to mend that separation. If we could, where would God draw the line for what is good enough? And on what side of that line would I fall? Instead, Jesus Christ... Instead, God's provision for us is Christ. Christ paid for our sins, every single one of them, with his life. It is faith alone in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and his death, burial, and resurrection that reconcile us to God. It is a free gift to all that cannot be earned. You have to remember, I definitely considered myself a Christian. I can tell you I was absolutely furious by the end of this particular conversation. 
I was embarrassed that I claimed to be a Christian to just yet didn't clearly understand the gospel message myself. I knew I was a sinner, and I knew I needed God, but that is pretty much where it ended. This one conversation sent many wheels in motion for me. Christ's existence, I did not question. The real question was, is Christ who he claimed to be? I'm almost done. Today, I absolutely believe Christ is God. That didn't happen overnight. I once heard not to assume the Bible is not truth without first, first knowing what it says. I started and continued to study. For me, it ultimately doesn't make sense for Christ to be anything other than whom he said he was. The foundation of Christ's ministry was that he is the Messiah. I've not been able to resolve him only being a good person, prophet, or teacher. He was either God or a liar, a liar that was willing to be crucified for the lie and lead many to their physical death. So the question for me is answered, yet ultimately it takes faith to believe, but it also takes faith to not believe. I still have many theological questions, some of which will never be answered until I'm face-to-face with God. However, Christ himself summed it up in two commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. With great love, Angela. Um, so before Jennifer gets up here... Um, and this is going to, I don't, I don't write, I'm better at writing than sharing, you know, face-to-face, although it's getting better and better as I share. Um, but I just encourage you, to, uh, she's going to have a great lesson for us, and um, I'll probably cry again. And I w- we're going to watch a little video before she gets her Amen. Amen. That's my king. And it's actually fun. That's a great video. And sweet testimony by Angela. I'll come, probably come back to But the whole heart of today is if that is your king, and you know him, and you love him, and you care hardly anything about other people, we've got to be talking about it. I mean, there is, there's a real disconnect, I think, in some of our lives to be this, he is all that intellectually. And if he is all that in our hearts and lives, how come out the wellspring of our heart, our mouth does not speak? There are people dying and lost all around us that do not know the hope and the joy and the life we have in our Savior. And if that doesn't break your heart, then we need to pray that breaks your heart. If that breaks your heart, we need to rightly respond. We just share the hope we have in a risen Savior with a world that is dying around us. Men and women that are headed, and I'm going to read it again because it is absolutely my favorite quote from Theo Spurgeon. They are running headlong to hell, many of them completely unaware of the real consequences of life and death of their sin. And there is great unrest in their soul. And yet no one has loved them enough to say, I know the answer. It's hard for us to get over our own fear of man, our own insecurities, our own, as Angela said, it's awkward when I share it. I can write it better. And we all have all that going on. But if we grasp the mightiness of a risen Savior, if we reflect on the mighty work He's done in our life, and we care about people, we can't help but tell. Look, there's a, usually there's a real disconnect if you are not sharing your faith. Either, I challenge you, either you don't believe, you really don't believe that to be true. Intellectually, don't really grasp the power of salvation, or frankly, you don't care. And I don't mean it to be callous, but I can't reconcile the two. I can't, because if you have this message of hope and life and grace, and it was a cure to cancer, would I tiptoe around you and tell you, I don't want to offend you, so I'm not going to tell you, neighbor. I'm not going to tell you, coworker. I'm not going to tell you, mom, because it might offend you. 
But it will save your life. So would, would anything keep me from telling my neighbor that was dying of cancer if I had a cure? No. Unless I just didn't care. And so there's this, this thing I've wrestled with for years. And just what is going on in my own life? And one of the great things about preparing this list, this is one of the things I'm so passionate about. Um, and yet it, it's an area I fall short regularly. I was so grateful to have the privilege of teaching on this topic because it is stirred in my soul this week. And I've repented of the fact that I don't seem to believe or care like I say I do. That I've not set my mind on things above. And that I've not said at all costs that Paul wrote, I'll be all things to all men, by all means I might save some. And as Angela said, just to, Paul went to great lengths, will be our example in the past we look at today, to present and, and just share the hope of the gospel. And I love, the, I love the verse in your newsletter, follow me as I follow Christ, Paul wrote. And you're living out a life before young kids that says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so we have a chance to live a life before them that says we are about, um, we believe that what God said is true, and we are about what he says is important, and that is the souls of men. So I haven't introduced myself. I guess Angel did, but I'm Jennifer Lewis. <laughs> I have a little bit of passion for this topic. And um, it's just fun to be here. And um, I am... Um, I'm not married and therefore do not have kids. Actually, interesting. A friend and I were talking today when um, I'm actually working at a high school teaching girls basketball. And some people see in the high school environment around kids, they naturally say, do you have kids? And so I've gotten to this answer of, oh, no, I'm not married. But, like, what a kind of a really culturally um, ignorant response because not having kids doesn't mean you're not married, you know. And so I've learned to say, no, no kids or a husband, you know, and, and talk through that. But in light of that, um, Cynthia and I talked about the real privilege to speak to you, but kind of humbling. So I recognize that. In the context of motherhood, I don't know much. And as I prepared this, it was kind of hard for me because, honestly, my heart is by no means, I mean, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation. But I hope there's a measure of conviction and challenge. And yet, I honestly think it would be real tempting if I were there, if I were in your shoes and somewhere in my shoes, like, she doesn't know. I mean, she doesn't know how hard it is, how tired I am, nap schedules, dirty diapers. That's a big ask. And so I told a mentor of mine, I said, I feel just kind of challenged, am I worthy to speak on this topic? And she said, you may not have anything to say about it, but God's Word says everything about it. And so I pray that you will see that, and I pray that um, just, um, which is what I've learned in my own experience, maybe in a different context, um, because the corporate America is where this is really fleshed out for me. And so all I'm going to challenge you with is many of you came out of work and are going into into a home, and I'm just going to say, let's use that block. Let's use your community. Let's be a lighthouse and an outpost for the gospel right there on your street. And may lives be changed. May souls be saved. May the Lord in his infinite mercy and grace do what he intended to do and use us, which he did not have to do, did not need to do, but he did that for our good and for his glory. So um, so um, let me pray for us before we start and just lift our time to the Lord. Lord, I thank you um, that women in this room do know you. Lord, that we know you as king. Lord, I actually realized I prepared my talk. I'm prepared assuming that all have come to saving faith. And I do think that's what's hard about evangelism in the Bible Belt is that many people like Angela think they are saved. And they don't understand the, the power and the penalty of their sin and how it separates us from you. And they understand the power and the life in the gospel. That sin is costly and that you have paid that price. So, Lord, I just looked up even evangelism now. If there's a woman in the room that hasn't even grasped 
the depth of her depravity and the greatness of your grace. I pray that you'd reconcile those two today. But, Lord, then I pray that out of that love for a Savior that has redeemed us and set us free, that, Lord, that we would go forward and set captives free. That we would be the messenger and the ministers of grace. Lord, you alone save. But in your mercy and your grace, you allow us to be a part of your great plan of redemption. May we be overwhelmed by that privilege. May we be challenged by that responsibility. And may we be moms who live a life that sets forth um, an idea of missional living and missional motherhood that we will raise up a next generation that is concerned about the souls of men. And if it's true that most people come to Saving Faith before the age of 18, then their children have a mission field in their schools and in their um, and in their neighborhoods to minister to those, those that are at the age that are most likely receptive of the gospel. So may these women here, Lord, be an outpost. And as I just pray, I just could envision, Lord, that you look down from heaven above and you know everything about every neighbor on their block. And you know everything about the lady at their cleaners and their postman and all the people they touch. And, Lord, you desire to reach them. And, Lord, by your grace, would you use the women in this room who you've sovereignly set in those locations for your divine plans and purposes. May we be challenged. Lord, I pray that they, this one encourages women to just a real purpose in where they are in a new stage of life, a purpose and a passion about being used by you as a new mom or as a mom, period. Lord, I pray that we have a burden for souls. Lord, I pray that you would stir in us hearts that are broken over um, a lost and dying world around us. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd give us just a vision for missions in everyday life. Lord, may it be. May you be glorified in our time. May you be glorified in our life, in our lips, in our testimonies of grace. In the name of my Savior, I pray. Amen. Um, well, it's real fun because getting to talk to y'all today, if you were at Watermark on Sunday, a lot of what Todd talked about, I was like, that is such a great setup for where we are. And he just talked about success being investing in what really matters. And the thing you said that really kind of rattled my cage and the question I've been wrestling with this week is, are you ordering your life around the eternal and squeezing in the temporal? Or are you ordering your life around the temporal and squeezing in the eternal? And I'm going to teach, um, the passage we're going to use is in Colossians. If you've been on the journey, we've recently been in Colossians. And you know, Colossians 3.1 says, Set your mind on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand, and not on earthly things. And so it's, again, I've not been a new mom, and I'm going to try real hard not to disclaim the whole time, because I trust the Spirit of God that's living and active in me, that calls me to be a missionary in corporate America, is the same one that's calling you to be a missionary as a mom. And I know that you are tired and weary, and I know those diapers pack, pile up, and Kelly was talking about going on vacation and not having to do laundry. I do not know what it's like to do laundry for a family of three, four, or five, and I certainly know what it's like to have a child with special needs. But I know what God's Word says about the salvation of souls. I know how easy it is for any of us to get caught up in the temporal, even the temporal of the details of child rearing. And I'm, certainly the souls of your children are eternal. And that is a great calling, and that is your primary mission field, but it is not your only one. And, and I know that because really, Scripture speaks really not that much. And for me as a single girl, I can't order my whole life on being married because there's about three or four chapters in all of Scripture that focus on being a husband or a wife. And there's a few chapters about being mothers, and we're called to that. But I think it's easy in a Christian culture with a high value of family and a high value of children, which is right and godly, to make them even our idols and that which we serve and worship and order our lives around. And again, I'm tempted to disclaim, but yet I know Scripture says that we shall have no other gods before him. And if we're not about what he's about, we're not about him. 
If we love him, we'll love what he loves. And that includes your children. Absolutely. But the only two things that last forever are the word of God and the souls of men. Todd added rewards on Sunday. But I think that just takes care of itself. You're worried about the word of God and the souls of men. So today we're going to talk about the souls of men. And I love it because this ministry in Watermark is really equipping moms and families about how to minister to the souls of their children. And I am so grateful for that. And, And yet in that... Even as you minister to your children, how do you minister within your community? How do you even leverage your children? Like, I'm just sitting here listening to moms talk and heard someone say, oh, so you're a new mom. There's this language among new moms. There's this bridge into each other's lives. It's unlike anything I've seen before. Mandy and Christy aren't here, but they are two of my dearest friends. And Cynthia, who spoke to you all before, and, and Mandy and Christy and I were in accountability for years. And all of a sudden, we did everything the same, and then we went to coffee not too long, and we spent three minutes, well, let's say we loosely, because not Cynthia and I, talking about nap time, should they sleep on their tummy, and a whole organic food at Tom Thumb, which I think is 57 cents if y'all want that organic brand. And I was like, what has happened here? There's this whole new world. That like, I mean, I realize it's just this new world. And I love it that y'all get together to talk about it. But then I also say, there is a world of young moms out there that you have a bridge into. That are dying to hear your thoughts on this. And the transitions to motherhood and all that. Use those children in this new life stage as a transition into life. Into women that are in new territory just like you are. But don't have their feet on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Okay. So, today... Um, we're first going to look at just God's glorious pursuit and plan, because I think if you don't grasp this context, this concept or this topic in the context of all of Scripture, we'll miss it. And it's just the idea that all of Scripture is about God's glorious pursuit of mankind, the great lengths He goes to to redeem us. From the beginning of all of Scripture, we were created in Genesis 1 for His glory. We were created for intimacy and relationship with Him. That's what's happening in the garden. It is beautiful. It is awesome. They have all they need. Yet, like us, they choose their own way. They set their mind and heart on the one thing he forbids. Fellowship is broken. Intimacy is broken. And then God intervenes. Intervening grace. With blood of an animal to cover their sin. And from Genesis 3 to Genesis 11, it's kind of um, the setting up of humanity. And then from Genesis 12 to Revelation, the rest of the entire Word of God is about God's glorious pursuit of mankind and the great lengths He goes to to save souls like us. And then I love when you think about that's the what of all of Scripture, just His pursuit and His grace and His desire to have an intimate and personal relationship with all of us. And then you look at the how He does that through all of Scripture. How does He do that? Who does He use? Real ordinary folks. With an extraordinary God. So in his great pursuit of mankind, he chooses and uses very ordinary men and women with an extraordinary God to save souls. We look at Abraham. Just nothing special about Abraham. Genesis 11, it tells us who his family is. And in Genesis 12, enter the scene. God makes this great promise that I will make you a great nation. And I will use you to bless all other nations. He at the time is worshiping other gods. There's never anything told us that is special about Abraham. In fact, we're later told the mistakes he makes. Then the Israelites. We're specifically told that there's nothing special about them in Deuteronomy, lest they get a big head, lest we get a big head and think God's chosen us because of anything great about us. And I spent a lot of my Christian life thinking God was lucky to have me on his team. 
I thought I was cool and a Christian that I was really an all-star for this thing called Christianity. Because let's face it, our culture paints Christians as complete dorks. Complete dorks. There's not a sitcom, Desperate Wives isn't, I hope you don't watch. I'm sure none of you are going to agree with me because none of you watch this show because it is a complete abomination to God's standard of family. But I happen to know the one character there on a, is like a Christian and she's kooky as all get out. I do love the show The Office. Not necessarily recommending it for all moral entertainment. It does make me laugh really hard. The one person on there that's a Christian, what is she? Completely kooky, completely snooty. They play this island game and she says, if I were on the island, I would take my Bible. There is no other book. And then she is the cattiest woman on the whole show. If you pick characters, I was watching, I was like, why? I mean, you look around, you watch a movie, you're like, why does a Christian always have to be kooky? That's how the world sees us too often. And, um, and so it's like this idea that we have to live it out. And again, for too long, I thought God was lucky to have me on his team. Shame on me. There's great sin and pride in that picture. Instead of seeing the complete depravity, my complete unworthiness to be chosen in any way from to reveal his grace to me. And then grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, who'd use me in any stinking way for his plans and purposes. To hear Angela's testimony, if my life were lived but for the salvation of the, the souls of a few, praise be to God. But there's nothing about any of these men or women that he used in all of history that's particularly special about them. In Deuteronomy 7, he calls it out and he tells them. He does not mess around in saying... Um, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. He's chosen you to be a special treasure um, of, above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you are more in number than the other people, for you are the least of all the peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh and king of Egypt. Likewise, Jennifer, he chose to intervene in my life. He, not because there's anything great about me, or there's anything great about you, but in his infinite mercy and grace, he reached down, he pulled you out of your slavery of sin, out of the hand of bondage of Egypt, and has set your mind on things eternal. Ordinary man with extraordinary God. Moses. Moses introduced, right after we meet Moses, he's introduced as a murderer, and then God calls him to be a messenger of grace and hope and deliverance, and what does he say? No, 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 not me, I can't speak. And God says, I who formed your mouth will not teach you what to say. Very ordinary man with an extraordinary God. He's a murderer and a mumbler. Then we have David. David is the youngest. And when, so when, the, when they're looking for a king and this predecessor, his father doesn't even bring him in the house. He is ready complected. He's the youngest. He is a shepherd boy. There's like, is it, don't you have another son? He's like, well, yeah, but one out in the field. A shepherd boy. Then we have Elijah who calls fire down from heaven, destroys the prophets of Baal, and James 5.17 says he was an ordinary man just like us. Then we have the disciples, fishermen, tax collectors. We have the apostles in Acts. What does it say about them? Do you want to know what Acts, how Acts describes them? Unschooled, untrained, ordinary men. So what's the message for us here? What do we learn from this? What does God want? He wants our availability, not our ability. He's calling all of us to be that to our generation. His plans for evangelism, I know evangelism is scary for a lot of us, and we're kind of like, oh, I don't have that gift. This isn't about having gifting. This is about having a story of grace and a passion to tell it and knowing that God saves souls. This is about knowing who you are before a holy God, and that is chosen to be set apart for his plans and his purposes so that he may use you. And let me tell you, 
There is nothing more exciting. Um, you can hear me quote several times today from a book I'll highly recommend called Crazy Love by Francis Sheehan. But I get to hear him speak last week, and he said, The Spirit-filled life is not boring. The Spirit-filled life is not boring. And again, have not been a mom, but there is part of me, and I hope this doesn't offend, but like when I think about my life compared to realizing the reality of your days, I think are hard. Some of you are a little weary, lacking some sleep. Some of you have been doing lots of laundry. Some of you got lots of diaper change, and you do not get to play tennis as frequently as I do. Or get up and go to the gym and work out. Like a lot of the things I love in life, I try to, I very much desire um, to be married and have a family. And so it's an idol I've had to work through. So in some ways, in fact, praise be to God, that I don't sit before you with jealousy. I think years ago I would have sat before you with an, an angst in my heart if I'm in the wrong seat. I should be out there. Praise Him that I can embrace where He has me today and celebrate that He wants to use me for His plans and purposes where I am. And that's the whole message of today. Where we are. Weary and tired, but yet living on a certain block in a certain community where God has plans and purposes for you. I am sure of it. Okay, so if God wants to use us, and what is the last thing Christ said before he left this earth? Do y'all know? What's the last thing he said, also known as the Great Commission? These are the last words of a man that came to seek and to save the lost. Go and make disciples of all nations. That is his passion. That is his heart. And he even says, it's better if I go because I'll send the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit to enable. We are not called to save. We are just called to tell the story of grace, to be faithful. And he will save. So here we are, ordinary women with an extraordinary God, called to be faithful where we are. And then if Matthew 28, 19 says, go and make disciples of all nations, I'm just saying, go. And you know what? I've had the privilege to go to Africa several times the last few years and um, South America before, and that's kind of the privilege of me being single, right? A little more free time and flexibility. I know nursing moms don't pack up and go to the Congo, but nor should they. Um, yet, the Lord has called you to be in a neighborhood in a way that I'm not in my neighborhood. Most of you, by the fact that you're here today, I'm assuming many of you, many of you aren't working full-time at least, or working part-time, and so here you are as a lighthouse and an outpost in a neighborhood and in a community that's desperate. To know our Savior. Okay. And I want to do something else too. I want to just think about, we've talked about scriptures view this. And I just want to reflect for a little bit, or shortly here, on our own lives. So let me just think of this. And give me a show of hands. I know no one likes even a show of hands, but just humor me, okay? Um, how many of you came to Saving Faith because of your mother or father? That's awesome. Praise Him. And praise Him that you are investing in your children the same way. But guess what? That was less than half the room. So that means, how many of you came to saving faith because someone outside of your family encouraged you and spoke the truth to you in the gospel? Praise Him. I am begging you, women, to be the messengers and the ministers of grace to those women. Because it is great that you're sharing the gospel with your kids, but someone has got to be equipped and prepared to share the gospel with men and women that are out there that did not grow up in a Christian home where that message has been preached. Someone had to be bold enough to speak into the lives of the women that are also in this room so they can raise up the next generation of believers. And you know what's super cool about reaching an adult for Christ? And again, it is, the statistics are that if you don't receive him by 18, that it drops off dramatically. But I think of some of my coworkers and workplace evangelists who have been real passionate. And when I've seen some real life change of folks come to Saving Faith, and then I watch them get plugged in the local body, and I watch their children come to know the Lord because of parents that believe in him, that is raising up the next generation. At a Billy Graham revival, or maybe it's Dwight Moody. Dwight Moody, there were conversions, and someone said, one in, 
we're, we're counting the number of conversions, and they said one and a half person was saved tonight. And they was like, he was like, one and a half, and he goes, well, one of them was just a child. And he said, no, it's the other way. The half is the adult and the one's the child. Why? Because that half adult only has half their life to live for the Lord, and that child has all of their days to speak of his goodness. Okay, so for those of you that didn't come to Saving Faith because of your home, how many of you came to Saving Faith by a tract? Okay, how many of you came to Saving Faith based on a Bible radio program you heard? Okay, how many of you came to Saving Faith through a relationship with someone that cared about you? Was it a relationship or was it random? Most likely it's a relationship. Someone in some form or fashion cared about you. And I love what Angela shared because that's the very hard about her coworker sitting down with her in the workplace and being bold enough to say to someone that thinks they're a believer, and that is, we're going to talk about being bold, that's a harder place to step in. But that someone shared the gospel. And, oh, how many of you came to Saving Faith by Street Evangelist? Do you kind of see where I'm going here? Like, seriously, I have so much respect for those that will stay on the street and speak. And, and I'm a fan of tracks. I've used them. And I list the Bible radio programs. But as I see the story of Scripture, and I see stories of my, my own story, the, the lives of folks I've been involved in, and what I just saw by a show of hands, the greatest messengers and the ministers of the gospel of hope are typically through relationship. Even if you came to Saving Faith through a pastor, likely someone invited you there. Okay, so, um, so talk a little about Scripture and about us. And now let's just talk about just the beliefs in our heart. I talked about if you don't believe, you don't care. So I've just gotta, we've just got to get honest about what we believe. And so just, gonna, just think on these questions because I'm putting this all together for us. So if we're initially mind the journey of motherhood, um, we have to make room for others in our lives, as Todd talked about on Sunday. And to be willing to make room for others in our lives, we have to believe in what we care. And so just I'm going to get you to think on these questions. Do you believe in the power of the gospel to save and change lives. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that Christ is the answer? Do you believe that the penalty of sin is eternal death and hell? Do you believe that the purposes of God include you as a messenger and a minister? of the gospel, of grace, hope, and eternal life. Just think, do you truly believe that there is joy, blessings, and purpose in obedience to his will? Because my heart also in this is like not only would souls be saved, but to walk in the joy of a spirit-filled life. I've also heard lots of moms talk about just the challenge of limited adult interaction. If you came from the workplace to home with toddlers, I'm talking about just... A purposeful existence, just loving your neighborhood, neighbors, thinking creatively about how to minister, sharing, praying and partner with your husband, having a family that has a shared purpose, and that is we are missionaries on Ellsworth. We are missionaries in Lakewood. We are missionaries in Highland Park. We are missionaries in Plano. We are missionaries in Lake Highlands. Praise Him. And guess what? If your husband has a good job, you don't have to raise support. Blessings upon all blessings. But that's what He's called you to. And so do you believe that you were placed in this town, in your neighborhood, and in your family for God's plans and purposes rather than your own? And if we believe that, do we care? If we believe all that, then we just have to say, do we care? 
Because if we believe all of that and we truly care about people, we will be compelled to act. If you aren't compelled to act, we need to ask ourselves, do I not believe or do I not care? And a friend that was one of my running buddies, a girl that I'd run with for years and had the privilege of, and I'm going to talk a lot about relational evangelism. I'm not one, I am willing if the Lord calls me to share with the man on the plane or to share with someone behind the counter, but that's really not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about relational evangelism because I do think that's where most people come to saving faith. The Lord is more than able to use all means. He doesn't need us at all. He doesn't need a relationship. Creation tells his invisible attributes. And so by no means is that a formula, but that is um, through the stories of Scripture and through the stories of lives where a lot of people really connect with the gospel is through relationships. Um, and so I developed this relationship with this friend of mine. And, and let's be honest, as people share about their life, it is inside. And I always feel like a little bit like a, I'm just listening and observing to understand where they are spiritually, to know where, when, how I might speak of eternal things. And over the course, it was pretty clear early on that she was not a believer. And over the course of our friendship as it developed and we're running together, um, my be bold, and we're going to talk about being bold, my first be bold to her was to invite her to Bible study with me. She was so foreign to the idea of Bible study that when she got a letter from our teacher, this mentor, actually the same one that encouraged me that I may not know much about motherhood, but God's word speaks plenty to missions. Um, when Candy sent an email to everybody saying, we'll be sending the letter of Hebrews, she called her and said, my Bible doesn't have letters in it. And I was like, oh my gosh, how great is that? So unschooled, so ignorant about things of Scripture. And girls, when this woman in her early 40s grasped the gospel, she said to me, it was one of those things, it was just in passing, but it blew me away. She said, if this is true, why isn't everybody talking about it in carpool line? And she was not trying to be dramatic. She was looking at me saying, if what you said is true, and what I've just committed my life to, how come no one is talking about this? Ladies, why aren't we talking about it in carpool line? Daniel wants to know. Daniel's saying, you mean to tell me there are people that know this and aren't talking about it? It was one of those like, I don't know, Daniel, I'm sorry. You know, and now I'd say either they don't believe or they don't care. Because if we believe and we care, the Lord is more than able to use us. So let's talk about how. Talk a little more practically. Again, it's a matter of the heart. So we talk about some of the hows and the practical things. Please look at the matter of the heart. And we'll talk about just praying, Lord, stir our hearts. Um, but the Lord has great plans to use you for his kingdom plans and purposes right where you are. In the midst of your weariness with lost sleep and dirty diapers and lots of laundry and trying to connect with your husband when you're exhausted. And trying to have adult interaction, figure out where friends go and, and how to be all these roles and some of them new roles in unfamiliar territory that may not always be easy. Um, Okay, so Paul's petition. So we've looked at God's glorious plans and purposes. Now let's look at Paul's petition. Colossians 4. If you have your Bible. We're going to look at Colossians 4, 2 through 6, and then break this down. Paul writes, Okay, again, Colossians is a book about the preeminence of Christ. And so I love what Paul does. It's actually what we're trying to do here is let's look at the matters of the heart, what we believe and what we believe affects our behaviors. So he finds the first two chapters just about the preeminence and the supremacy of Christ. And then he transitions in the beginning of chapter 3, and he's going to move from doctrine to 
kind of our application is, if then you are raised with Christ, seek those things were above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. So he transitions to say, okay, if God is who he says he is, if Christ is preeminent above all others, then set our mind, let's live accordingly. He talks about the character of the new man, the Christian home, a godly wife. Um, he talks about what it looks like in the workplace, and then he closes. Um, and one of his closing comments in chapter 4 is that it um, is here in verse 2. He says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest or make it known as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom with those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So we've got God's glorious pursuit. We've got God's Paul's um, petition. And then for our participation. What is our petition based on this Paul's pattern here of prayer? And his um, prayer, what he asks of them, that has that model, has an example for us. If he says, follow me, I follow Christ. What's the example for us? How do we participate? First, we're going to beseech the Lord. We're going to build bridges. And we're going to be bold by the grace of God. So beseech the Lord. I love it that Paul, the first missionary, as Angela said, devoted his life to spreading the gospel of God. Skilled, capable. What's the first thing he says? Pray for us. Pray that doors will be open. Beseech the Lord. Pray that your mind and heart will be turned toward eternal things. Colossians 3.1 and ladies, I think, as I did yesterday in preparation, I sat before the Lord and repented of disobedience when it's not. I was like, ah, oh, my mind has not been set on eternal things. I have not lived as if I believed that the only two things that last forever are the Word of God and the souls of men. Pray that you'll have the Lord's agenda and not your own. And not even your kids. I promise, if your kid's nap time is interrupted because you were in a long conversation with your neighbor... The Lord is so much bigger than that. I know, I know, and I am a woman of schedule, and I'm working on my issues with control. So let me tell you, this whole world y'all are living in, I'm like, it is going to rock mine. But I am learning, as I'm sure many of you are, is it's not my world to orient around my plans and purposes. It is His world, and I have to be interruptible for things eternal in a way that, that gives Him glory. If we set our, thing, our mind on things that beloved, and we believe that obedience to His will and purpose always breeds blessings and joy, then He can handle all these things. Pray that you'll believe and care about the lost. Pray that you'll have a heart. It says in Matthew 9 that Christ looked out over the crowd and He had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Sit outside your front door and just look around. Look around and think, ah, if in that home there's no God and there's two kids, there's a working mom, there's a dad, that relationship is probably strained. How do we know? Because we're all sinners in desperate need of grace. And apart from God's grace, there go we. Do your marriages have a chance apart from the grace of God? No. Your child rearing? No. Your peace? No. So we know based on our own depravity that Life apart from God's grace is very difficult. Have compassion. Stand outside and and just look around your block and imagine. Some of you know of hard marriages, right? 
Some of you know, even in the grace of God, of difficult, painful seasons of marriage, you may be there now. And yet you have the hope and the foundation of Christ arrested. Have pity. Take compassion on the moms and dads or just the neighbors or the single folks who are looking for love in all the wrong places that are sheep without a shepherd. And say, Lord, would you use me? Would you give me a heart that cares about them? And then pray for individuals. Pray for the couple in House 6148. Pray for the people in your community that you know. Pray for family that's unsaved. If you are in the working world and you're not anymore, pray for those coworkers. And guess what? You may have flexibility and free time to go take lunch to coworkers that would probably love to see your kiddo, would love to think you still cared about them. Pray for, pray for those. Pray for creativity. Pray for a heart to see the lost around you. Beseech the Lord. Apart from God's grace, none of us will ever be used by Him. Apart from God's grace, no one will be saved. But in God's grace, He plans and purposes to use us. I put out on your table the top ten cards. You've been around Watermark for a while. You've probably seen it. But you know what? Mine needs to be re-upped pretty often. And I would encourage you maybe to even re-up yours in the context of your neighborhood and community. I'm going to talk about just being real intentional on your block. And here's what I'm talking about your block. And some of you are living in at home more than you've ever been before. Is that true? All day. I mean, your kids have naps. Your kids have dirty diapers. You're in and out of. Your kids are sick. You're homebound. In a way that y'all are spending so many more hours in your neighborhood and on your block than I do. And than you probably ever did before. And there are lost people literally a 30-second walk away. And how stinking fun for your kids to even be the bridge to them. That old couple down the street would love to have a visit from your kids. That new mom across the street would probably really love for you to come over and say, here's what I've learned. Not in a know-it-all way, but just in a sharing way. We'll get there in a second. Okay, so um, I love this idea. Todd's asked us for if all your prayers were answered this week. If all your prayers were answered, how many people would have come to Saving Faith? If God gave carte blanche to everything you prayed for this week, how many folks would have come into a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ? So maybe we'd be women that pray. Pray that we'll be committed. Pray that we'll care. Pray that we'll have compassion. And pray for the folks that the Lord lays on our hearts as we sit before Him. And then if we be, after we seat the Lord, let's build bridges. Let's build bridges into lives. Two primary goals here I challenge you with to build bridges. That you'd first be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And then just be a friend. Be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and be a friend. Ephesians 4 says, live worthy of the calling with which you are called. And women, if we live what we know to be true and we uphold, if we have a high value of God's word and live accordingly, that is a light to a watching world. It would be salt and light. Scripture talks about a city set upon a hill that cannot be hid. The way you love your kids, the way you're patient with them, the way you love and serve your husband, the way you um, have a different view of finances, the the way um, you interact, the way you share, all that to a watching world is noteworthy. So first, be faithful with your life. And then, be a friend. 
So tell me, we're also talking about sharing the gospel, but I'm not talking about walking down the street with tracks this afternoon. If you have the boldness for that, I'm not discouraging it by any means. I'm saying build a bridge into folks' lives. Okay, and if someone's ever shared um, their faith with you, my guess is that they knew your name. <laughs> Think about just the very fact of if you don't know their name, that's the first step in a relationship. Like, I'm, like, it's so elementary. But think about identifying people on your block and maybe making it just pray through, ask your husband to partner with you to know the name of everyone on your block. You know what's so powerful about using someone's name? You use their name, they will figure your name out. I mean, you will guilt and shame them into figuring out who you are. Because every time they drive by, you're like, hey, Danielle! Hey! And the next thing you know, they're pulling their car over. Next, you know, they're walking their dog down. Here is my, um, my heart for that on Ellsworth. I live in the 6100 block of Ellsworth. And here is the 6100 block of Ellsworth neighborhood map. Take a big note card. You are going to meet them, and then you are going to forget. And you're going to think, I mean, how could I forget Paul and Mary Kay? And then I walk in my room, and it's like, not Mary Kay, Mary Kate, Mary Ann, Mary Jane. What's Paul's wife's name? Partner. Angie and I are partners in ministry, my roommate. Partner with your husband for the sake of the souls. This is my block. Lots of exes there. We've got some folks that have moved. Try to acquire some phone numbers. Try to write some interesting facts about some people. What do I have on there? Baby's name's Dre. Um, I can't read my handwriting. Oh, boyfriend's name is? Oh, Mike and Stella. I put on there, this guy's really into his dog. Stella's his dog. You know, how's Stella? And when that guy's dog died, I said, I haven't seen Stella in a while. I think he knew I cared. If you don't know their names, how are you going to develop a relationship with them? So I really recommend, this is your block. You see how it's laid out? Like that's a square. It's your block. You put yourself on there and then you just start marking down the houses and writing names on there. Um, and then be, just engage in your community. Okay, show of hands, how many of you know your postman's name? He's by your house every single day. He comes to you every day. Just engage in your community. I have a really obnoxious dog that wants to kill my postman every single day that he comes by. So he gives me an excuse to engage with him because I really felt the need to, like, overcome Willie's poor behavior towards Craig and engage with him. But yeah, I started thinking about this man comes to my house every day. You know, I have no idea if he has any idea what's in the mail. But honestly, if he did have an idea what's in my mail, you could probably tell by looking at the mail that I'm into that Jesus guy. Of the, all the stuff I get... Right? There's lots of, if you have the chance to give or participate in lots of ministries, I, I really do not think Trey knows, but I thought there should be something different. There are crosses up at your house, there should be something different. What's the name of the lady at your cleaners? Ann said, oh, I forgot. It's greatness. Usually they wear name tags. That helps out. Use her name. Use her name. You know, if you're if you are a two-income family and now you're down to one, you know, there may be some budget cuts. You may not be at Starbucks every day like you were when y'all were double income, no kids. But what's the name of the person that works at Starbucks? At our Starbucks, community Starbucks, my friends, and I think we partnered together in ministry, we all know about all ten of them's name. Why would I not know their name if I see them every day? And guess what? One day I got to invite Jason to church with us. But how am I ever going to invite him to church if I don't know his name? I don't know anything about him. He's a single dad. His son lives here. Blah, blah, blah. And I didn't set out, must know Jason, must memorize Jason's name, must ask about kids next time. No, be a friend. 
If you pray for compassion and concern for souls, the rest will take care of itself. Um, what about the man that does your yard? You're like, my husband. <laughs> I hope you know his name. <laughs> We've got bigger issues if you don't know his name. Okay, double income, no kids. Maybe you're down to budget cuts. Maybe all of your husbands are doing your yard. So it's just me that needs to know Jose's name and, um, and his wife's name. I was going to say, what's her, his, I was going to quiz you with what's his wife's name. Like, how many conversations does it take? And you know what? For the yard man, I've got this fun, silly little habit in August. I was like, I don't get to be the Kool-Aid mom for kids. And I grew up, and my child left was really um, not happy. And a lot of families were really gracious to me to bring them in. So part of, I think, some of the reasons I grieve being not a mom is I have such great visions and maybe idolatrous visions of being the Kool-Aid mom. Because I want to be the mom in the neighborhood that loved all the kids, that parents were at work, and that things were chaotic at home. I want to be that safe place in my neighborhood. So I've always just wanted to be that lemonade mom and um, all that. And so the Lord is like, why don't you be the lemonade girl for the yard guys? So, I mean, when's the last time you made lemonade for the yard guys? I see them pull up. It's a crystal light packet. Pour it in a pitcher and take ice out. I mean, when I got to share the gospel with Jose, do you not think I built a bridge? One brick at a time, starting with what's your name? Starting with, how's it going? And the other day when I go to run with Willie and I come back and I'm wearing a headset and he's like, what are you listening to? You know what? Instead of saying, and I don't normally listen to sermons. I was like, a great sermon. Do you want to hear it? And I was like, finish blowing the leaves with my iPod on. And, and then, you know, and like I tell this and it's pretty cool, but it wasn't particularly cool that day because it was just the next step in my relationship with Jose. In fact, I'm not sure I've told any other friends the story per se. It's a friend, right? It's a relationship. It's purposeful living. And when he gives the iPod back, we have a quick conversation about where they're going to church and what his wife believes and why Seventh-day Adventists don't go to church, I mean, don't go to the doctor. And we've got broken English and limited Spanish. You know what's real fun the first day I engage with him about Jesus? And sometimes I'm random. If I've been on a mission trip, where have you been? I've been to Africa. Jesus. Conoces Jesus. I mean, Jose, conoces Jesus. I mean, I laugh. They know I'm practicing my Spanish. Do you know Jesus? He was so great that I loved it. I happen to know he does the yard for a lot of my friends. So shouldn't he have been saying, yeah, Chris told me. Cynthia told me. But I did love it that he said, do you know the guy that just got back from Ecuador and it was one of my friends? I was like, praise him that Rich had also shared the gospel with Jose. Do you see even about how if there's others in your community on your block, like there's like this commune of you people that live in Lake Highlands. Like, partner up for the sake of the gospel. Speaking of neighbors, when I lived on Ellsworth and Mandy was single and lived on the same block, we had um, a block party. And let me tell you, for the single girl this way out of my comfort zone, so, I mean, it really was a stretch for me, but the Lord's like, Jennifer, you can't go to Africa if you won't walk across the street to tell your neighbors about the gospel. And praise him that he moved in my heart to tell, care about my neighbors and care about my coworkers before I ever raise support to fly across the world. And I challenge you with that. So here's our little invitation to the meet and greet. Meet with an A. Please join your neighbors on the 600 block for hamburgers, hot dogs, and hello to folks you know and those you don't. Friday, July 25th, blah, 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 coordinated by, blah, blah, blah. Food will be provided. Bring a friend and bring your lawn chair. We have the chuck wagon out. We made burgers. Next time we, I think maybe this one wind up becoming burger, burgers on the block. And y'all have husbands. It's hard for me now. It really is. The Chuck White kind of out of commission for a while, and I, it's hard. I mean, I can't really cook burgers for all these people. But then, oh, you know what's so fun about this? If you're missions minded, when I put the invitations out, I didn't care if they came or not. I wouldn't introduce myself to every person. Guess what? When they weren't there, I didn't leave the flyer. Why? If I leave the flyer, I can't get their name. 
If I leave the flyer, I can't say, you live here with your daughter? How long have y'all lived here? Now I'm writing single mom, Brandy and Madison. And, I mean, half of the victory was I know people's names. They may not have come to Burgers and Walk, which actually was a smashing success, because let's be honest. Folks in your neighborhood do not have community. You are their community. They're probably not living in an authentic watermark top of living where someone knows and cares about everything with them. You get such a mission field among them to know their name. Have a Burgers on the Block. Have a play date. When, it was just, when Angie moved in, actually it was Angie and him were roommate at the time, so I partnered up with the girls down the street, um, Kristen Laughlin and Beth McFarland and, and Mandy now Bagdanoff. And then um, when it was Angie and I, and I thought that was hard, I was like, well, let's just minister to the moms. I mean, the wives, the girls. So we had like a sweets and something. And everybody brought a dessert. We had like 100% attendance. What party do you invite your friends to with 100% attendance? I was like, these don't even know me, and they're coming out in droves. And you just thought we planned the party of the year. We had three months in a row where we did it, and they're like, let's do it. This is also interesting if you think about it. What do they care about being in my home? The home's on the block. There's like, and I live in an older neighborhood, so they're going to love actually seeing your home, right? Because what you have in common is you all have homes in the same community. It's kind of fascinating. Let's move homes so we can do like a home tour. I could care less about homes. I did not want to do a home tour. But I was like, great. That means someone else can worry about the food next time. Let's do the home tour. <laughs> and um, you see how all of a sudden building relationships, getting to know names, getting to know a little about where they are. So be fully devoted. Be a friend. And then leverage similarities. Some of those new moms in your neighborhood, they're transitioning from the workplace, transitioning from roles and dynamics with their husbands. And you are ne- uniquely equipped to minister to them. Even if there's just one or two on your block, or there's one a block over, make a friend. Make a play date. For some reason, when I pick this topic for y'all, it's because I imagine there are new moms everywhere desperate to be shepherded through this transition. And I hear the conversations among new moms that I'm like, that's just, those are not conversations I'm having or a way that I can engage with them. Just talking about building bridges, and how do you build a bridge one brick at a time? Know their name. Know where they're from. Know their husband's name. Know where they grew up. Know if, um, where their husband works. Know if in their childhood um, they grew up at church. Know if they go to a church here. Know if they've got friends and family here. Know if they've got a sick child, a healthy child. It's a relationship. Be a friend and be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Take a meal when they're sick. Write a note when there's a death in the family. Attend a funeral. My dad died when I was in college, and I learned a valuable lesson that you will knock people's socks off if you attend a funeral. And here's the cool part. If, um, it's a little sick and twisted, I won't, I won't deny. If it's a close friend, I go to the funeral, to be expected, right? Go to the funeral of someone on your block. Go to the funeral of someone you don't know that well. Not the funeral of them, the funeral of someone in their family. You will knock their socks off that you cared. You care about what matters to them if you have compassion on them. And I don't mean that orchestrated like, oh, because it really knocks you off. But think in terms of what will bless them. Um, give gifts with purpose. I view, like a lot of times when I was in the workplace, lots of people had babies. I could give the thing off the registry or my favorite gift to give, and y'all can all give this, except it's, unless it's my friend, I'm going to give the gift first. Um, it's like a lullaby, a Christian CD of lullabies. I gave it in the workplace, and it was such a unique gift. I cannot tell you how many unbelievers said, that's our favorite city. We love it. And I'm like, so I'm imagining a home where they're all unbelievers, and this child is in Twala Paris or Michael Card singing every night, sing, um, sleep sound in Jesus. Um, a children's book. If they have young children, you befriend someone, give a children's book with biblical truth. Um, check on the elderly. 
offer resources, books, CDs. Just share with them what you're learning. And then I mentioned host a block party. Well, we're just building bridges. Put a brick one at a time, build a bridge in the lives and hearts, and provide an opportunity for you to speak about your Savior and testimony. And when you have beseeched the Lord and prayed, and you've been building your bridges, be bold, ladies. Be bold for the sake of the gospel. And I always say, if I would share them about my activities and my interests, why wouldn't I share with them about my Savior? Again, do I not believe or do I not care? And you know what? Sometimes it's awkward. I open with that. Like, I call it out. And I go, oh, this may be a little awkward and rain on my nose. The people don't like to talk about religion. But here's the deal. If I believe what I say I believe, if what I've banked my life on is true, that Christ died for me and for you and the wages of sin is death, and I care about you, you ought to call me out if I don't share. I ask them. I put them in my shoes. I say, either I don't care about you or I don't believe it or I have to share. Prayer, care, and then share. And it's not, it's not always that you can just set it up like that. Because if you'll just start speaking, the best way to speak about eternal things is in first person. Here's what the Lord's teaching me. I was so encouraged. I went to building blocks this morning. And, you know, um, wow, I'm struggling as a mom. I'm really praying through this. Met a woman yesterday through a work opportunity and just facing a job decision. I just said, instead of saying, I will pray for you, I engaged her in it. I said, can I pray for you? And then I see by her response, sometimes I pray for them then. So I'm going to step away and pray for them. And then I follow up. But that's speaking of eternal things. Let them have a window to my soul as I'm asking for a window to theirs. Um, and then just be bold about what he's done in and through you. And I love just Angela writing out her story of grace. If you can't clearly articulate your story of grace, it's something I'd practice with community with your husband. If you can't clearly articulate the gospel, I'd, I'd practice that. Get some resources. Because I know we all stumble and fall, but guess what? God's a God of grace. And usually they won't remember every word of it. They will remember that someone cared. And sometimes people stop down to pray to receive Christ, and sometimes they don't. But you're part of God's plan of redemption. And I love the language. Of, you know, just Paul here said, pray that the door will be open for us. Beseech the Lord. He said, walk with wisdom toward those who are outside. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you were called. And I love it that he says, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Do you hear that? As to be expected of me. In Ephesians 6, Paul says, pray that I would speak boldly as I ought to speak. And when I say be bold, I don't mean be brash. I just mean be bold. Share with them the hope that you have. If Paul prayed that he could be bold, pray that we'd be bold as we ought to speak. We'd walk with those outside. We would redeem the time. Because really, if we're not being bold, let's just think about the fact that people all around us, um, one day they are going to face the ultimate, it's appointed for me to die once, and then, and then comes judgment. And I read this poem. I heard this story or this idea in junior high, and it has stuck with me since then. It is not to convict, or it is to, Lord willing, it may convict. It is not, it's a little hard to read, because it seems a little harsh, but I think there is such power and truth in the sentiment. So if you've been bold and you've become a friend, we must be bold, and here's why. You lived next door to me for years. We shared our dreams, our joys, and tears. A friend to me you were indeed. A friend who helped when, helped me when in need. My faith in you was strong and sure we had such trust as should endure. No spats between us ever rose. Our friends were like and so our foes. What sadness then, my friend, to find. But after all, you weren't so kind. 
That day my life on earth did end, I found you weren't a faithful friend. For all those years we spent on earth, you never talked of second birth. You never spoke of my lost soul and of the Messiah who'd make me whole. I plead today from hell's cruel fire and tell you now my last desire. You cannot do a thing for me, nor words today my bonds will free. But do not err, my friend, again. Do all you can for souls of men. Plead with them now quite earnestly, lest they be cast in hell with me. We must be bold. The cost is high. What does it look like to be bold and inviting them to come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace to help in their time of need? Let me tell you, salvation is so much more about saving them from hell. It's about teaching the, the depravity of our sinful nature. The desperation of a Savior. And the life we have in Him on this earth and the life eternal. So let's be bold. Invite them to church. Invite them to building blocks. Hey, twice a month? Free childcare? You can ride together? We're talking, I mean, seriously. If they're in your neighborhood, I'll pick you up. We'll go to lunch after. Or I don't know that baby schedule thing. We'll have a play date next week. To and fro in a conversation with them. Invite them to the parenting conference. Or give them CDs. A friend of mine that I used to work with got together with him recently. And he's unlikely to come to Watermark, but he's got three kids. He's likely to listen to the parenting CDs. Invite them to Bible study with you. Initiate when it's not comfortable. Get out. It's not about you. Get, off, get out of our awkwardness and our insecurity and making it about us, which is what our nerves and our anxiety and the uncomfortableness that I can't do that is about. It's become about you. Step out of that comfort zone. Be bold and initiate a relationship. And initiate conversations about spiritual things. And invite them to receive the gift of grace. If we, if we just that we be prayerful that we would share and that we would I mean, that we'd be prayerful that we would care and then that we would share. And I love the verse for children's many family ministries now. Is, um, it's called the Shema um, for, in the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish families. This is, um, if, you ever, if you have any Jewish friends, this, there's usually, and I just forgot the name of it, but it's in their doorpost. And the scripture, the scroll is in there, um, rolled up. And it's, it's kind of the, the pattern for living. All Jewish people have memorized the Shema. And they all say it in, in Hebrew. But so here, O Israel. Um, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you, many of you are faithfully doing that. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, as you are with your husband. You will walk by, and when you walk by the way in your neighborhoods. When you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them on the sign on your hand. They shall be as a frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. We should be women in our communities, in our homes, in our, na- in our block, in our neighborhood, and in our community. They're telling others of the hope we have. Do we believe and do we care? And because I plan to read it and I love it that Anne's already did. But, oh, my sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. 
If they will perish, let them perish with their arms about their knees, imploring them to stop and not madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. Let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. God saves, and we pray, and we tell, and we warn. And in that is a purposeful, spirit-filled, joy-filled, exciting life of being on the front lines, the front row to watch God change lives. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being your messengers and your ministers of the gospel of Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you have sovereignly ordained each of these women where they are in this life stage, in their neighborhood, in their community. And Lord, I thank you that you have plans and purposes for them there that are so bigger than themselves and allow them to just participate with you with this glorious plan of redemption, Lord, your glorious pursuit. And you are, in the same way you've intervened in our lives, you so desire, Lord, it is your will that not one would perish, that not one would face the consequences of eternal damnation for their sins, that you've spared us of if we know you. Lord, may you use us. May we be women who pray. May we beseech you. May we build bridges. And may we be bold for the sake of the gospel. And Lord, may there be a revival in our blocks. Because we were faithful. Because we trusted you. Because we sought your face. And because we trusted you as the Savior of souls. In the name of that mighty Savior, I pray. Amen. <laughs> That's sweet. Um, yeah, if anybody has questions, I don't know if we want to do like a question answer deal um, or just break up into small groups. Um, I would like to do. Can I just recommend some resources? Like we talked about this for an hour. And Lord willing, Lord serves in your heart. And that can be overwhelming from a, okay, so now what? So some great recommendations. And these are all really pretty easy reads. I've got some headier reads, and so I'd love to recommend those too. But I put those in two categories, not to overwhelm. This is a book that is just greatness. It's not about evangelism. It's not crazy love. And it's the subtitle is Overwhelmed by Relentless God. Have any of y'all read this yet? It's definitely running around and people are talking about it. Get this. Wes Butler, um, like he suggested, he read it as part of his quiet time. For um, It's about 10 chapters, like 15 minutes a day, you'll have this knocked out. But it's so much of the heart of what I'm talking about. Like, actually, I meant to read several things from it, now that I think about it, and I forgot. But, um, like, he talks about lukewarm believers. And one of the things he says is lukewarm people think about life on earth much more often than eternity in heaven. Daily life is mostly focused on today's to-do list, this week's schedule, and next month's vacation. Rarely, if ever, do they intently consider the life to come. Regarding this, C.S. Lewis writes, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, they've become so ineffective in this one. This book, it will rock your world in a sweet way. It will make you fall more in love with your Savior and want to live accordingly. Okay, so that's, this is on the hard stuff and on the hands. Francis Chan, sorry. Have a new guy on the scene. Greatness. Crazy love. If I was going to say, if I got to say, okay, I get to spend all of you, I get to spend $10 for all of you, that's where I'd spend it. Another great book kind of that will stir your heart. And Piper's a little more heady, but this is his least heady works. But Don't Waste Your Life is so great. So great.
And I think it'll give you just a vision for where you are and how to be faithful there. So don't waste your life by John Piper. And then specifically on evangelism, this is a great book. It's called Larry Moyer's How-To Book on Personal Evangelism. And like here are the chapter titles. And they're short chapters. Chapter titles are... How to develop an evangelistic lifestyle, which is kind of the heart of what I was talking about. How to turn a conversation to spiritual things. He even gives questions in here, and that sounds goofy, but you realize, you're like, I just need help. And it's encouraging. Read those, you know, oh, I'm asking those, but maybe I'm not converting those questions to really conversations about spiritual things. How to tell the bad news, good news. How to tell the story of grace. How to respond to occultists. How to help children understand the good news. How to overcome fear. How to evangelize out of grace, not of guilt. How to regain a heart for unbelievers. How to avoid common mistakes in evangelism. How to encourage new believers to grow. How to help those who struggle with salvation and, and others. So that's a real, real short chapters. Really, I think, would encourage you. And here's the deal. I just pray that you catch a vision for like, oh my gosh, may my block be saved for the gospel of Jesus Christ. May this block be transformed by the gospel. And then this is a little more heady, but it's called Winning Soul. It's called True Evangelism, Winning Souls Through Prayer by Lewis Berry Chafer. And my favorite author, probably kind of all times, the most thought-provoking one is C.H. Spurgeon. He's pretty heady. This is a book called The Soul Winner. So just know yourself if you really enjoy kind of wrestling with the deep theologians. Pick up Spurgeon's Soul Winner. He's real passionate about the loss, as you can tell. Chafer, this is Lewis Berry Chafer, C-H-A-F-E-R, True Evangelism. And then and these other two. And I'm glad to speak. I'm glad to comment or give you some resources. And I am just, like, available. I mean, someone here could tell you how to reach me if you have questions. And, like, my heart, like, I got excited. Lord, that you would in any way use me today to change the lives in their neighborhood. So I'd love to partner with you. Like, if you want to help talking through this more, glad to be a resource. There's probably others here that have a heart for evangelism that can do that, too. Okay, question. Green sweater. Great question. Do I hear a question? Um, love them like a crazy woman and, and pray fervently. Um, my weakest area of knowledge of the religions is in Far East religions. But I think, you know, there's books like at Logos, they'll have those things that are like an overview of all religions. I recommend just reading something or just Google Wikipedia, what do they believe, and I think it helps you. Because lots of times you can learn a little bit that gives you to turn the conversation to spiritual things. Like with Muslims, they don't really view a loving, gracious Heavenly Father. So I try to talk more about those kinds of things. Um, with my Jewish friend, um, she was one of the people that um, I started going to. I went to a couple of funerals for her that really knocked her socks off. And that's where I got the idea of, oh my gosh, this is radical to show up and say I care by going to a funeral. I'll never forget just the impact it made on her. And that's where I really got a passion for that. I think Jewish people are easier than some of the um, um easier to conversationally to focus on the Old Testament, ask them what they believe, ask them how do you get to heaven. Um, but what I would do is if people are just desperate for community, and really I don't think those faith, the reason we're called evangelicals, they are more okay with everybody gets to heaven. That's not true. So Jewish people that I know aren't typically evangelistic. She doesn't seem to care that I, she doesn't think I'm going to hell because I don't, that I do believe Christ is the Messiah, nor do Hindus. So really, speaking of, as far as evangelism goes, I don't think they're typically trying to convert. So again, that's why we're called evangelicals, because we think ours is the only way. So, 
I would engage with them. So, of course, you, I mean, I know that you're not suggesting you wouldn't invite them to your block party, but just get engaged. But my guess is they're not being reached out to. So I think that there is, you know, open place. And, again, questions are going to arise about how are you different than the Jewish people. And, and then that's where you have to pursue resources to specifically address their, their specific questions. And that's a, that's a great question. And so, see, there, I would focus it probably first on the getting to know them. So you're doing the block party kind of stuff. And you're starting to – I call that going fishing. I just cast the line and see if they bite. You know, just – I cast the line a lot about – and sometimes you get a lot of feedback. Sometimes you don't. You know, who comes to your party? Cast the net. Who comes? Who might be available for lunch, et cetera? And so I'd pray for those folks. The truth is, in my own life, I'd probably be more focused on those that I didn't know that maybe there wasn't such a barrier. But yet, as I say that, I'm like, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And know that you're more than able to speak into that. Does that help encourage you, Holly? I'm not sure that was it's kind of a hard question. So kind of spoke several aspects of it. Other thoughts or questions or your own experiences? Yeah. And they were Hindu. What really helped and opened just that gap, like, I don't think they're any closer to Jesus now. Maybe, maybe we were able to cast seeds. But when we engaged in their culture as well, like, I unfortunately missed it, but we had a sari party. And that was just great. So they got to share their culture of wearing saris and bindis. And we asked them about Hinduism and about their gods. And that was just, it just opened it. Instead of like, I'm going to shove my, I'm going to shove it down your throat. It was an equal exchange. Just Friendship, just loving, and we invited them. They were very interested in um, uh, American culture, like the Christmas tree. Like they wanted to come over and just look at a Christmas tree. And um, so we invited them over for a Christmas dinner. And they weren't able to come, but it just provided the opportunity just to tell them. So I think what's, what helped us was to engage in their culture as well and not just make it be one-sided but again it just comes to that love thing like if you truly love the individual it's not just going to your agenda isn't just going to be to okay i'm going to convert you and then i'm going to move on it's i'm going to share my life with you but that helped us and be bold not brash so and I, people are desperate to be known. And so, like, I love this book because in the questions, it's really about getting to know them first and then turning the conversation to spiritual things. I mean, that's not to say the Lord doesn't lay on my heart sometimes to share the gospel with someone in passing. And, and that's out of my comfort zone. Sometimes I just am like, people do come to saving faith outside of just, you know, a long-term relationship. Um, but I love that. And I love what you're also saying. See, she's partnered with someone in ministry. And so... Anne gets to go to the sorry party, but she doesn't. Anne comes back and says, hey, here's what I learned about them. My roommate and I partner. You and your husband partner. Your, your husband talks to the husband. Your husband talks to her husband out in the yard one day. Just have that heart for your community, which I think is awesome. So I think that prayer, and I think that, again, making it all about friendship. You know, again, it's interesting because I, I realized, I think early on, I was asking questions about other religions because I was trying to get the gospel in. But then I was like, no, now actually I realized I really just care. And I really just want to know, and I was learning so much, and there's just receptivity to listen as well. The whole idea of people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care.